people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our group life pastor, Tim Smith. We wanted to start with that clip about beginnings for a couple reasons. First of all, it starts Tuesday, and if you want some information and would like to sign up, you can do that right out in the foyer uh, to your left as you exit the doors, but also because it is a program that basically says you are accepted no matter where you are in your walk of faith. Maybe you're a seeker and you're just not even really sure about this whole God, Jesus, church thing, uh, but you're curious. Um, maybe you're a searcher where you're, you, you know you believe, but you really like some more information about the foundations of your faith. Or maybe you're what we call a defender. You're really confident about your faith, but you would like to be able to share it better, um, especially with some of the hard questions that can come up. What we've learned out of this program is that that acceptance opens doors of opportunities for conversation. But it doesn't just happen in a program. It happens on a personal level, too. My daughter, Marlo, lives with her family in John Creek, John's Creek in Atlanta, and she's done a lot of things in her life that has made me proud as a father. But maybe one of the highlights of a father's pride happened all the way back when she was in third grade, and she was at a week of Christian camp with us, a junior week for third, fourth, and fifth graders. Into that camp came a little girl by the name of Amanda. We knew as camp counselors that she was coming. She was an orphan, um, and we knew that she was uh, somewhat introverted, but we didn't know how deeply. And as she came in, she got registered. She immediately went off to herself. Um, we tried to talk with her. The counselors did. In fact, the counselors said a little later that they had uh, caught her a couple of times even that first night just crying all by herself. So we were talking that night about what could we could do for Amanda. But without our knowledge and without any prompting from dad or from any of the counselors, Marlo had seen Amanda in some way and decided she was going to become her mission. And so she went to Amanda, and she made sure that Amanda ate with her at meals. She made sure that Amanda was enclosed with her group of friends. She made sure she was sat with at a campfire. She helped her in the cabin with her things and just encouraged her all week. And we saw that little girl, Amanda, go from an introverted, lonely, crying little girl to one who was really extroverted and full of joy by the end of that week. And it's not coincidental that Marlo got Camper of the Week that week, not because she was better than any other kids, but because she had intentionally taken an interest in this little girl, Amanda. But I have often thought in the years that have gone by, I wonder what happened to Amanda when she went home. Was there a Marlo in her life at home? Or did she just go back to this lonely existence where she was kind of an outcast as an orphan? And then there was a deeper question that nags at me since that event. How do I do in being a Marlowe to the Amandas that cross my path? How do I do in terms of seeking out those who need acceptance? I mean, after all, aren't we all to be looking for the Amandas of this world that cross our path? The Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians 2.4. He said, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Well, as we continue to be in our series Share, we come from what Pastor Adam talked about last week in terms of the why we share to some of the how-tos to share. And we come to an incident where a woman, who I think could relate to Amanda, receives acceptance from Jesus. She had been given attention, but never a heart. 
This woman had been given a bed, but she had never been given rest. And yet deep in her soul, as in as all of our souls, she longed for true love and acceptance. And she meets someone who is interested in her soul, and she discovers what I believe is her sermon in a sentence for this message, and that is that Jesus' acceptance shared by us can lead to lavish love and living water. So I hope that you'll open your Bibles to John, the fourth chapter, or turn in your devices. If you don't have a Bible and would like one, we'd love to give you one free of charge. Just go to our welcome centers. But my prayer this morning is is that you will be encouraged and motivated to do some of the things that Jesus did for this woman, for the Amandas that God puts in your particular path. And if you this morning feel like an Amanda, that you will see in Jesus someone who truly loves and accepts you. First of all, Jesus showed his acceptance and his love for this woman by removing barriers. I think most of us would think of this woman, knowing her lifestyle and background, as certainly somebody that would be very unlikely to be interested in anything spiritual. But Jesus recognizes her true need. But before he could reach her with his love and message of true acceptance, he had to remove some of the barriers that were between them. First of all, he removed a geographical barrier. In our text, we find that Jesus is leaving Judea, and he's traveling north to minister. Verse 2 simply says that he left Judea, and he went back once more to Galilee. Well, in Israel, during the time of Christ, Judea is in the south portion of Israel, down here, where Galilee is in the north. And for someone to travel from south to north through this, this, this juncture, this trip, they have to go, as you can plainly see, through the middle section that's called Samaria. Now, there was an intense hatred between Jewish people and Samaritans. We're going to talk about why in a moment. But any Jew that would make this trip went well out of their way to avoid going through Samaria. In fact, the route that they took, the Jewish traveler would go to the extreme east. They'd go up to almost Samaria, take a right turn, and go all the way around to keep from going into that particular part of Israel. It would be kind of like us traveling from Milledgeville to Chattanooga by way of South Carolina to make sure that we didn't get anywhere close to, say, the greater Atlanta people, you know, the Decaturs or the Alpharettas or the Mariettas or the other uh, Ettas. And how dumb would that be? But to the Jew, it was worth the extra miles to keep from coming in contact with these Samaritans. The late Grady Nutt, a preacher, used to tell this story And he would emphasize the fact that somewhere along this trip from Judea into Galilee, before you reach Samaria, there had to be this line that you would cross that, of course, a true Jew wouldn't cross. It would be the line where you would take an immediate right turn and go all the way around. And as Jesus and his disciples are making this trip, Grady Nutt said, you know what? What happened to the disciples who were probably behind Jesus when he crossed that line and just kept going? You think they all kind of stumbled all over themselves and and thought, whoa, whoa, whoa." has he lost his mind? Um, He he missed a turn. Maybe they even said to Peter, hey, Peter, talk to him. Lord, uh, excuse me, but are you daydreaming or something? But we missed the right turn back here. I think all the while Jesus is probably in the front smiling because he knows exactly what he is doing. If nothing else, this trip is going to show the disciples that the gospel message was to permeate the entire world, not just the Jewish community. 
Plus, this incident would also remind them that as Christ followers, they were to go out of their way, outside their comfort zones, to accept others, to open doors to serve the hurting and reach the lost. Now, for this woman, the fact that Jesus was even in her village of Sychar in Samaria as a Jew would have been certainly enough to raise her curiosity. Why hadn't they taken the quote-unquote Jewish route and skirted not only her country but her city? But this is just Jesus' first step. He arrives at this well, and the woman is there, and Jesus asks her for a drink, and in so doing, he removes racial barriers. Remember when we said that the Jew had an intense hatred for the Samaritan? Why? Well, the history of the Samaritans is complicated, but the bottom line is the Samaritans were considered half-breeds by the Jew. They were a racial mix between a pure Jew and another race, and because of that, Samaritans were hated by the pure Jew. In fact, so bad was it that if you used a dish that had once been used by a Samaritan, you were considered unclean, and you had to fast and pray to undo the damage. The woman understood this. In fact, that's why she asks in verse 9, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? She was amazed that Jesus would ask for anything from her because she understood the extreme dislike the races had for each other. And yet here was Jesus willing to touch her jar and even drink from it. And I really believe, especially here in the South, We've really got to take notice of this. We have got to learn never to allow racial prejudice to interfere with our commitment of accepting others in order to care and share the love of Jesus with them. Now, that's not easy. Maybe you were brought up in an environment where people with another color of skin were to be shunned. I grew up in central Florida, and in my day, segregation was a norm. And in that day, to a lot of Christ followers' shame, many wouldn't even consider having a person of a different race in their home or helping them in some personal way. And it's not just a matter of color either. It's a matter just of race, of being from a different place. I, living in South Florida, knew some brown Dominican Republicans who, who absolutely just had distaste for brown Cubans. I knew black Jamaicans who had a distaste for black Haitians because they were from a different place. I knew white Americans who had a distaste for white Canadians because they were from a different place. But what Jesus is trying to teach us here is that this can't be. By this very encounter, he is begging us to change. And let me say it as clearly but as lovingly as I can. I do not believe that you can claim to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ and have a barrier of color or a barrier of race. Jesus removed that racial barrier, but he also removed the gender barrier. Notice back in verse 9, the woman just didn't mention her race. She said, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Now, it's really difficult for us to understand this. But it was so true. In fact, in verse 27, when the disciples come back from their shopping, it says that they said they were surprised to find him talking, not with a Samaritan, they're already in Samaria, but that she, he was talking to a woman. So difficult for us to understand the deep disrespect that women received during the time of Jesus. They were considered second-class citizens, property. They were treated with contempt. 
But here Jesus treats her with courtesy and value. The very request of water gives her dignity and significance. There are times that I grow really weary of those who claim that Christianity suppresses the role of women. That's simply untrue. Jesus Christ has always elevated women. Scripture is very clear that women are equal to men in every area except maybe physical strength. Galatians 3.28 tells us that in Christ, we're all one. There is no gender barrier. 1 Peter 3.7 says that wives and husbands are equal partners. Jesus didn't just look at this woman. He didn't just respond whenever she talked. He actually initiated the conversation, which removed that barrier and led to the next barrier that he removed, the spiritual barrier. I think she had to be stunned by Jesus' actions. Here's, here's a Jewish man that doesn't care I'm a Samaritan woman, so why is he even talking to me? And she basically asks that question, and this is what he answers in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Every time I read this incident, I am just dumbstruck and amazed by Jesus' brilliance. Notice how he opens the door of opportunity by using his need to turn the conversation to the spiritual. I can think of a number of times when I've tried to get people to see their need to emphasize spiritual things, but Jesus uses his need. That made her less defensive. And her answer in verse 11 reveals that she's still on a physical level. She says, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And maybe she's even a little sarcastic when she asks in verse 12 whether Jesus is greater than Jacob, the one who actually built the well. But Jesus doesn't let her stay on the physical. But in verses 13 and 14, he brings her back to the spiritual when he explains that the water that he offers will quench her thirst forever. He says this, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty. Talk about the well water. But whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I think if nothing else, it ought to teach us that those that we sometimes talk to don't understand spiritual things. We lived in Colorado for a time, and I learned to snow ski. We had a professional ski instructor in our church by the name of Kelly who was very patient with me. He began explaining skiing to me using words I just did not understand, things like bindings and wedging and snow plowing and moguls and jib. And, and I was thinking, what in the world are you talking about? But before I could even get that question out, Kelly just smiled at me and said, but eh, let's not go there yet. Let's talk about, and he began to explain skiing in terms I could understand. Listen, sometimes those of us who have been Christians and in the church a long time use jargon and spiritualese with people who do not have our background and knowledge and so they don't understand what we're talking about. We live in a culture where trees and whales are saved where justification is something you do if you're late to school or late to work. But Jesus didn't talk about theology. He simply offered what he had. And a lot of people today don't understand they need repentance or baptism or forgiveness, but they do know, just as we know, that it would be great to have things like peace and contentment and hope. And that's what we can tell him Jesus offers, being careful to use words, just like Jesus, that they can understand. And then there's one more barrier I want you to see that Jesus removed to open the door to this woman's heart. 
And that's the barrier of selfishness. We should look back at verse 6 in chapter 4. It says that Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey. Jesus, as he's at this well, is beat. He's thirsty. He's hungry. He could have satisfied his own desire before ever looking to this woman's needs. But he placed her needs above his. Why? Because her spiritual life, her soul, was his top priority. I find it interesting that when the disciples come back to the well after buying some food, they ask Jesus to eat something. And he says this in verse 32, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. See, to Jesus, sharing spiritual truth with others was so satisfying, he actually put it above his physical needs. Now, I have to confess, there are not a lot of geographical, racial, or gender barriers that I face that keep me from opening doors of opportunity to communicate spiritual things to people. And maybe you can sit there and honestly say, you know what, I am willing to share spiritual truth with others no matter how different they are from me. But here's the question. Do you? Do you? Maybe self-centeredness is our biggest barrier. Listen, caring for others like Christ means leaving our comfort zones. It was so important to Jesus to move from a surface conversation about physical water to a deeper level talking about living water that he was intentional about removing barriers and began building bridges. In fact, I want you to notice three planks that Jesus puts in this bridge that he builds for this woman. First of all, Jesus gave her acceptance, not condemnation. This woman had a bad reputation in town. In fact, J. Vernon McGee said in his commentary, this woman probably wasn't real popular with the women of Sychar because apparently she was real popular with the men. <laughs> Verse 16, Jesus recognizes that and says this, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Someone defined tact as the ability to make a point without making an enemy. Jesus, I think, did that. He told the truth without alienating this woman. From a religious standpoint, she was a blatant, rebellious sinner. But to Jesus, she was someone in need of a Savior. Now, Jesus didn't condone her actions, but he didn't have a condemning attitude either. He used her sinful relationship to get her to see him as one who would forgive He accepted her where she was, and he began to work with her from there. He didn't say, listen, before I tell you about living water, before I talk to you about your soul, you got to clean up your act. (laughs) Aren't you glad Jesus still works that way? (laughs) Fact is, we need to be reminded that when Jesus forgives, our past is forgiven forever. When you come to him and accept him as Savior and Lord, he forgives and forgets. Micah 7.19 says, you will have compassion on us. You, God, will hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Corey Ten Boom, a Christian during the Holocaust, Holocaust, once said, God takes our sins, the past, present, and future, and dumps them in the sea and puts up a sign that says, no fishing allowed. Jesus took this woman in spite of her sin and accepted her by taking her where she was and began to elevate her to where she could be. Secondly, Jesus built a bridge with a plank that brought clarity from confusion. 
After revealing that he knew all her dirty little secrets, she does what often we do. She tries to escape accountability by changing the subject. In verse 19, all of a sudden she says, Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. In other words, she moves away from the personal to the abstract. She tries to escape accountability. I'm sure none of us have ever done that. But you see, when any time a person feels convicted, you naturally try to escape. And so she tries to change the subject. She says, you know, you, you seem to be a guy that knows what he's talking about. I mean, after all, you just told me everything about my life. Well, that reminds me, where is God, by the way? On, on our mountain or is he in your city in Jerusalem? But Jesus just gently directs her once again to himself. He tells her in verse 21 that true worship isn't confined to a place. It's a matter of an attitude toward God. And then he offers a third plank in his bridge. It's from everything else to him. In fact, in verse 25, the woman responds to this talk about worshiping God and says, I know that a Messiah, I know that the anointed one by God is coming. In other words, okay, you know, someday I know that a Savior is coming. I think it may show that she, like many, believes in the theology, but not in the possibility of a personal relationship with God. And so many people, they can know the Bible, they can know the rules, they can have perfect church attendance, but not really know the person of Jesus. Well, for this woman, Jesus corrects all that by responding very simply in verse 26, I, the one speaking to you, am he. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You know, Jesus doesn't directly reveal his deity to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, or to King Herod, nor even the crowds at the temple. But here... Beside this long-used well in a rejected land to an ostracized woman, he says, I'm the one you're looking for. And he gave this woman a reason to respond, to repent, conveying to her that he's the one that can bring change. And look at the change that happens. First of all, she leaves her water jar. <laughs> That's what she'd come for. Verse 28 says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back into town. She changes from a person to whom physical thirst is the priority to one who no longer is content with just ordinary water. Now she has something of much greater value. She had met, maybe for the first time, a man who looked at her through the eyes of love instead of lust. She had met a man who knew her most innermost secrets and still accepted her without condemnation. Instead of telling her to turn and burn, he gives her a path to him. And then she changes from him, one who is ostracized to one who shares Jesus with the others in her community. It says in verse 29, she says, come see a man. He told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? And listen, this woman wasn't a Bible college student. She didn't have any spiritual training. She just shared her story. When the disciples, the learned followers of Jesus, come back from shopping, they don't bring anybody. This woman, she brings scores of people back with her. And then, because of sharing her story, we begin to see changes in others. Verse 39 says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And then verse 42 is this beautiful verse that says, They said to the woman, after talking with Jesus, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. A barrier removed 
a bridge built, a dynamic change, open doors because of the acceptance of Jesus. Now, before we go home, I want us to see very briefly three lessons to learn, hopefully, what will motivate us to accept others and share with them, like Jesus shared, the greatest love of all time. Here's the first one. Be intentional about building bridges with others. Please understand this. Any purposeful action always begins with intent. Any purposeful action always begins with intent. So how can we be intentional about building bridges? Well, here's the first thing I'd recommend. Start every morning by asking God to give you opportunities with the people you'll be around to share Jesus. And then here's the second thing. After you pray that prayer, you remain alert during your day for the people who need acceptance who need barriers broken down, that coworker, store clerk, parent at the soccer practice, the family member, for those in need to accept them for, the, for who they are so that maybe possibly they can become all that God wants them to be. And it'll take intentionality because you know what I know. If we're not intentional about this, it's not going to get done because we're just too easily stuck on ourselves and all our schedules and all our busyness. We gotta be intentional about this. But here's the second thing I'd suggest. Be comfortable with your story. Please remember, Jesus didn't try to wow this woman with scriptural knowledge or, or slick speech. He simply expressed who he is and what he offers, and all of us can do that. We can tell people how Jesus has changed our life. Simply share how Jesus has changed you. And you know what is great about simply sharing your story? <laughs> it can't be wrong. You know, nobody's going to argue with your story and say, well, that didn't happen. But they may hear something that they can identify with. And you don't have to memorize tons of Bible verses. That's not a bad thing. You don't have to know deep theology. That's not a bad thing either. But you just got to be comfortable with your story. I would recommend you write it out. Share it with a trusted believer. Come to Beginnings or Growth Track 3. We're going to talk about this even in more depth in a couple of weeks. We want to help you be able to do this. So be intentional about building bridges with others. Be comfortable with your story. And here's the final lesson. So important. Be confident of his acceptance of you. Maybe you're here in this room today, and like this woman, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. How I want you to understand that this same Jesus who accepted this woman at that well is ready to accept you just as you are. Just think. This woman came to a well to get water. Jesus offered her living water from a spring. Now, there's a lot of differences between a well and a spring. In a well, the water is stagnant. In a spring, the water is fresh. In a well, the water is limited. In a spring, the water is limitless. In a well, the water has to be drawn. In a spring, the water bubbles up. And maybe you are trying to fill your jar of your life with all the water from this world's well. I want you to hear Jesus as he says to you, lay down your burden, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. I will give you living water because what Jesus told that woman long ago at that ancient well is just as true and real from his lips right now when he says, whoever, whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life and you can come to him just as you are. Father, thank you for this story. 
for this incident that you have given us between Jesus and this woman. And I, Lord, as we finish today, I just want to pray for two groups of people. First of all, for the believers that are in the sound of my voice, that we will begin to be intentional about removing barriers and building bridges to be able to share our story of what you have done for us with others. But then secondly, I want to pray for that one in the sound of my voice who is Amanda, who is that woman at the well, that they might understand what it means to just come to you, to lay down their burdens, to lay down their shame, to lift up their face and to have living water. May that happen even in the next few moments. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at